Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I sit down with Elizabeth Peace. Sapphire training helps the on-the-go woman feel more energetic, find her inner peace, and become more powerful by creating a fitness lifestyle she loves. Today, Elizabeth and I chat um, all about her passions, which she has a lot of them, and um, she is the founder of Girls Who Hit, and it's a fitness-based program which teaches the basics of self-defense, and we talk about that later in the interview. She is also was a former journalist. She was a former um, military officer. Her husband is now in the military. He's a Marine. We chat about that. And then the meat of the interview, we talk about one of her platforms because she does pageants and something that she is passionate about and why she got into pageantry is all about um, child abuse. So she is a survivor of child abuse as well as both of her children. So she chats about that. So I know this can be a triggering um, topic for some people. So definitely take that into account for today's interview because we chat about it in depth. And if this is something that you're looking to get involved with, I'm actually going to share with you guys the website she suggested. It is d. 2L.org. So I would highly suggest going over there. There is a two-hour training um, on how to help prevent this, or if you have children, how to um, you know prevent this for your children from possibly happening. So this is definitely something that um, I have not chatted about or didn't know a lot about. And so we really dive into that in the meat of this interview. So just take that into account. But this is a great, great interview for just everyone to be a little bit more aware of what's going on, to to talk about some of those topics that are sometimes um, taboo for us to talk about. All right. So without further ado, here is today's episode. Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm super excited. I have Elizabeth Peace with me today. So how are you doing today, Elizabeth? I'm great. And I, I just love the name of your podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know I'm like, I just kind of randomly threw those together. So it's kind of nice working for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I want uh, everyone, cause I read through your bio and it's such a fascinating bio. I mean, you have so many different areas um, in your life that you've kind of went through. And so I want you to t- take us on this journey of basically Elizabeth's life. <laughs> You know what? I I love this comment from Rob Dial. He does a lot of motivational podcasts and, you know, uh, business coaching and whatnot. And he says, stop chasing rabbits. And I feel like that's my entire life, my whole life. I am, um, the only thing I have really mastered in life is journalism and everything else. I'm really good at that. And I'm really good at this. And I'm really good at that. And I have a really hard time just stopping and doing one or two things as an expert. So when you look at my bio, it's like, wait, there's no way that at the age of 37, she's been in the military. She has owned three businesses. She was a journalist and a TV news anchor and a radio host for, you know, 12 or 13 years. And now she owns another business. And yeah, I've done all that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. And I, I can relate. I've went through there myself. I remember in college, I played three sports and one of the, um, guys that was, played basketball he was like don't you think if you just did one sport you could really focus in and become really good and I was like well I like them all though how do you choose right you know what it's that's really good advice for somebody who's going to be in the Olympics right yes if you were going to be an Olympian you probably need to just stick with one or if you're going to join the NBA or something but I you know what the only thing that really stuck with me forever was journalism and even then I started in print and then I went to radio and then I went into tv so, and now I have a podcast. So I don't, I just don't know if it's possible for some of us. I, it's hard to write, you know, a real short elevator pitch or a 160 yeah. character bio because I'm like, well, I do five things and I'm a mom with two children. So mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I can relate. Um, so I want to kind of start with like the Air Force. So I want to talk about what was your experience like in the Air Force? So when I joined the military, I was I was very young. I was right out of high school. I wasn't married. I didn't have children. And so it was a lot easier for me then than it is now as a military spouse. My husband is an active duty Marine. And it is a lot harder to do anything in the military when you have a family. And I've, I've definitely learned that. In fact, the reason I left the military was because I gave birth to my oldest child. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I regret that. I wish that I had stayed in a little bit longer. But I can, I mean, we're now living through how difficult it can be to balance military life and family. So... I want to say that the time I was in the Air Force was mostly good. There's always, you know, some downfalls to everything, but especially as a, I was a police officer and I was a young female police officer 
And you know, anybody who watches the news now is probably much more aware of how difficult it can be to be a female in the military. Um, so I didn't have nearly as hard of a time as some other women do. Most of my time in the military was really good. But uh, I, I would say, you know, for people who ask me, would you, if you had a daughter, would you encourage her to join the military? And I would, because the majority of my time there was, was really worthwhile. I grew up, I learned a lot. And while I did not pursue a criminal justice career like I thought I would, it was really good for me and I learned a lot. Hmm. So how many years were you in the Air Force? I was in almost for two and I had signed up for six, but then my son was born and I, I got pulled into the officers, my captain's office and told, we really need you to get out. Uh, they oh, just, wow. I they really did not want a female police officer that, you know, when there's deployments and you're sending people to Saudi Arabia and that's where we were going at the time, my unit. And so they just, they didn't want that. They didn't want that difficulty and that headache. So uh, it was really, really pushed on me that I needed to leave. And, uh, and I eventually did. Wow. So do you think that, you know, kind of flipping gears then now that you're the spouse to someone in the military, what are some kind of, I have a good friend who is, you know, husband is in the military as well, and she has a young kid at home, and I know that's hard for her. Like, what are some advice you have for, you know, the military spouses who, you know, have kids at home and, you know, are kind of see their spouse and then don't, and you just kind of never know? Oh, okay. So I have so much advice. Let's start with avoid people who are going to make you feel worse about the situation that you're in. We don't, we don't choose to marry, you know, the person we marry, I didn't say, Ooh, I want to marry a Marine. Mm -hmm. I met a man who happened to be a Marine and I fell in love with him. Would, would I have chosen him if I mean obviously if I hadn't fallen in love with him no like if you don't one you don't just get married for no reason but also it is really hard to be married to someone in the military and so it's not a life that we really choose it's that's that's the career that he chose that he is extremely happy with and I chose him so avoid people who make you feel bad about that choice. Mm. But also I found that when, whenever he was deployed, I would be surrounded by other spouses who always wanted to talk about who cheated on who during a deployment. Oh, wow. And I, I stopped talking to those people because you don't need negativity. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, people cheat. They cheat in the military. They cheat when they're not in the military. So whether you have to decide whether you trust your spouse or not, and if you don't, if you don't trust your spouse to, to go overseas and not cheat on you, you have a marriage problem, mm -hmm. not a military problem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to work on that with your spouse or, you know, make whatever choice is best for you. But surrounding yourself with people who want to talk about the gossip and the negativity, it's just going to make you more paranoid. So remove those people from your life for one don't engage on that in facebook don't you know jump on the the gossip train and start talking to people about what could happen and what could go wrong but also i think and i'm not good at this so let me just be the first to say i'm really bad at this i know it's something i need to work on but when your spouse is deployed or your spouse is overseas and your spouse is doing their job it's really important to remember that sometimes their job is very risky. Mm -hmm. Everything that they do overseas is a much higher risk than if they were in the country. So you need to do your best to reduce their stress. So if it's something that's happening on the home front and you can handle it, then handle it. Don't put that on your spouse. Things like finances, don't try not to stress out with your spouse especially if it's something they can't fix. If you need someone to vent to, call your mom. So, and then I don't mean vent, to, vent about your spouse to your mom. That's a bad idea. But <laughs> <laughs> remember, moms don't forgive as quickly as we do. That's, that's but, also true. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you are, if you're stressed out because your child is doing something and your spouse can't fix it, I know that you want to keep your spouse in the loop. But whatever they are doing overseas is really stressful and they need to keep their head in the game and they need to be focused on, on the task and the mission. So stressing them out over little things that you can handle is a really bad idea. They really do need to keep their head in the game. And I will tell you, I wasn't very good at that. My husband went to Okinawa for two years without me, and that was where I struggled the most. Mm. And I learned a lot from that. And also being former military, I had to really tell myself, 
is this really important? Can he really do anything about this? Is this going to matter in two years when he comes home? Mm. And if the answer to that is no, then they don't need to hear about it. Mm. That's so interesting just to have, you know, because I am not familiar, you know, with that lifestyle and just to hear just kind of those tips. And even as a friend, like what I can do and the role I can play in my friend's life, just by hearing some of those things, because it's something that, you know, if you don't deal with it, you don't necessarily know what is appropriate to do. Yeah. I honestly, the best thing that you can do is to get really focused on whatever you can control. So find a hobby, do something you've always wanted to do, do things you've wanted to do and you couldn't, because as we all know, things change when you get married. Like maybe you got married. And so you're like, I no longer had time to go do this one thing like singing lessons or dance classes or whatever, whatever, writing a book, whatever it is that makes you happy, do that. And Mm -hmm. if that means that you need to hire a babysitter for five hours a week, then make that happen. So make sure that you give yourself a break you know, because as you pretty much are a single parent and you need to give yourself a break or you're going to go crazy and do something that makes you happy because your spouse is not responsible for your happiness and they need your support and you to stay calm. So just remember that it's hard. It's, it's really, really, really hard, but you married that person for a reason and you're supposed to support each other and, and the things that make you happy. My My husband loves being a Marine. I'm not a big fan of the military lifestyle, but when I started working from home full-time, I knew that in order for me to be able to do this, I needed to get out of the house. Mm -hmm. So I went on Facebook to all the Fort Meade spouses and wives and mom Facebook groups, and I just put a call out there and said, hey, does anyone want to get together once a week for coffee? I need to get out of the house at least once a week and talk to adults. So every Tuesday morning, we and me and like 20 other girls go meet at the Starbucks and we have coffee for an hour or two and I get out of the house and it's really good for me. It keeps me sane. <laughs> I love that. I think that's great advice for like just moms. In yeah. Yeah. Especially and some of the moms, they, you know, some of these moms, they do bring their little ones and mm-hmm. some of them don't like for me, my kids are usually in school at that time, mm-hmm. but just getting out of the house and talking to another adult, I'm just, it's such a lifesaver. I highly recommend it. <laughs> yes, I that's I also agree with that because I have a 15 month old, and you know, just having you know, I work from home, and then I also train people in person. And mm-hmm. I always, I really like that balance right now because I can see people and I can talk to adults, you know, and then I'm at home with them in the afternoons. But I know if I was at home with them all day long, I would need some okay, I need to get out and socialize mm-hmm. type of event going on. It is hard. Way before I ever started working from home, I'd I'd always been a working mom. And this is really the first time that for a long period of time, I've been able to work from home. And I can, I've always just felt like being a stay at home mom had to be harder. It just had to be. I mean, it is hard to work and be a mom. And I, I obviously know that I did it for 15 years or 16 and a half years. But now that I'm home, I'm like, yeah, this is hard because if you don't have an escape, if you don't find a way and a reason to get out of the house and to talk to other people your age, you're just, I mean, I don't want to say, you know, you're going to go crazy, but pretty close. Yeah. No, I, my mom was a stay at home mom with all four of us and I don't know how she did it, you know, looking back, cause I was from a small town. So, you know, there wasn't a ton of people around either for her to talk to. So I'm like, wow, this is, you know, in a different times too, cause it wasn't like social media, you know, you actually had to call <laughs> someone and set something up that way. So it's, it's always just fascinating just to see, you know, the different, you know, different worlds that we're all living in, but yet we still all have similar things going on. Right. And you know what, there's one thing that moms can definitely unite on. We may be different, different backgrounds, have different beliefs and opinions, different politics, but we all know that being a parent is hard Mm -hmm. and it's also worthwhile. So I look at stay at home moms and I'm just, I'm in, I'm in awe of them and how they do it. My sister has always been a stay at home mom. And I was, I just look up to her and how she was able to do that and how she sacrificed what she wanted to do because she felt like that was best for her kids. And I just, it's amazing. It's amazing to me to see her do that. 
and her kids, you know, her kids are great. My kids are great too. And I was a working mom for a long time, but I can see a difference now that I'm working from home. I see a difference in my kids. There's a difference in my family. I personally am a lot calmer. I'm much more patient. There's a lot less stress in the house and I'm much more aware of what my kids are going through in a, on a daily basis. And I would say that I was a pretty involved mom when I was working outside of the home. But now that I'm working from home, it's just, it's different. And I feel like I'm more involved in the little things where I may not have been before. And how old are your kids? 17 and nine. Oh, that's fun. So definitely 17. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> just at that age where he doesn't yeah. want to tell me anything. Yep. <laughs> so it's really great to be here to just like be able to watch because he's not going to tell me. No. So now I just have to like, I'm just paying more attention and I'm watching things. But also like with my nine-year-old, I know that he has really enjoyed it. And I'm not trying to guilt trip any moms who work outside the home because I did that for 16 and a half years and I, I get it. Sometimes you don't have a choice and sometimes that's what you want to do. You want to keep your career going. But being able to work at home and just to be here and have him be able to run home and tell me things, to pick him up from school, it's just been, it's a, it's been a blessing and it's also been very eye-opening. I feel like my children needed this more than I realized. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I just kind of see that. And um, how, how long have you worked from home then? So I... I want to say full time for only three or four months now, but I started okay. telecommuting a year ago. Okay. And so I was half I was half working from home for the last year and I have made that permanent full time for the last three months. Yeah, that's cool that you've already seen that kind of shift in mm -hmm. you know, your kids just from that short period of time. Yeah. Mm. So something that I also want to chat with you about, because I mean your background is just so extensive. Um, <laughs> something that I'm not familiar with, because we this is just not super common here, is like the pageantry world. So Mrs. Virginia America, that's what you were? Yeah, Mrs. Virginia America 2016. And in fact, I just announced yesterday that I'm running for Mrs. DC. So I am now Mrs. Capitol Hill 2018, I guess. So I want to know, kind of, <laughs> tell me about this world and what makes you want to get into it and what does the training look like for this? Okay, so I love this topic because the first thought, and I've written lots of blogs on this, you know, why in the world would a married woman do a pageant? And when I was going to nationals in 2016, I had a reporter ask me this question and I, and I said to him, how many readers do you have? And he gave me a number. And I said, well, now, you know, X thousands of people, if they read this article, know that they can prevent child sex abuse if they take a two-hour class. So think of all of the parents, the aunts, the uncles, the teachers, anyone who has a child in their life, which is almost everyone, mm -hmm. now they know that if they want to protect that child, they can take a two-hour class and prevent their child from going through this horrendous epidemic that is this awful thing that's happening in our country that no one wants to talk about. Mm. So I, I always wanted to do pageants when I was younger, when I was a teenager, and I never did. I have to admit, I just never thought that I was attractive enough to do pageants. I always thought, oh, it's all, it's the models, it's the popular girls, it's the pretty girls. I was the girl who didn't get asked to homecoming or prom. So, you know, I was a, a tomboy and I was very shy and, well, okay, maybe not very shy. <laughs> I was, I was a, a tomboy who was very interested in things that not, that other girls were not so interested in. And in high school, I really started to uh, become much more feminine, but I never thought that I, I never did it well. I don't know if this is making any sense. But I never felt that I was attractive, and I, had a, I didn't have a very high self-esteem. And it took a lot of years, and actually it took a pageant as a married woman for me to realize that, one, that's not actually what pageants are about, and two, it, it's not about who is the prettiest, because trust me, I would not have won Mrs. Virginia if that was the case. But it is about who has the confidence and who has the speaking abilities and the communication skills and who is willing to go out and make a difference in their community. And let me tell you that I can do that all day long. You want me to go out in the community and you want me to volunteer. I've been doing that for like 15 years. So 
for me to find this platform and people are saying, hey, we're going to give you a title, which being in the media, I know that titles matter. We're going to give you a title and you can go promote whatever you want. Now, as someone who has been fighting against child sex abuse for over a decade, this was such an amazing opportunity to take a title and use that microphone to really reach out to parents and say, let me help you before it's too late. Mm -hmm. I will help you also if it does happen, because unfortunately, that's how I found out about it. That's, that's how I know. That's why I'm involved. And the first thing I had to ask myself as a parent was, you know, how could this former police officer, somebody who is very strict and, and has very strict rules, how could that happen to her own children? How can that, how can you prevent it? I wanted to know how to prevent it. And I learned that you can, I didn't know that before, even, even as a cop, but I learned that you can. And so now I teach other parents how to prevent it. So pageants gave me this platform and this microphone to be able to reach out to even more parents and, and to you know, kind of get their attention. So on top of that, I don't know about you, but I just really like to dress up in evening gowns. So. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's really fun to dress up like once a year or twice a year, like Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so within this now, I want to kind of like back up. So in case people don't know, can you share a little about your story and, you know, how mm -hmm. you got introduced into, you know, wanting to prevent this and educate people about this? Yeah. Yeah, so I I am a survivor of uh, sexual assault and child sex abuse, and so it has always mattered to me. And as a journalist, when I got out of the military, I went into journalism, and it's all it's always mattered. That's probably why I joined the military. I really want to be a criminal profiler. I wanted to learn how to stop people from doing this kind of stuff and from ruining people's lives. And then as a journalist, same thing. I was writing about these issues. I was calling out politicians who were refusing to take any kind of training that helped them empathize with victims. And, you know, we're seeing, even today, we're seeing that these perpetrators are getting, you know, three months probation or, or 90 days in jail, and then they're being sent home. You have a victim who has had a life-changing experience, and that will never go away. You can't fix that. You can't take that away. It's done. And what people don't realize is that once you've been a victim of sexual assault, your life has changed. Like you cannot even donate blood ever again. So every time your workforce is, your workplace is doing a blood drive, people are asking you why you can't donate blood. It's very embarrassing. There's a lot of guilt and shame that goes on the victim. And I think it's time that we stop making victims feel guilty. So I've always been interested, but then I found out that during a visitation with um, at my ex-husband's home, there was another family member that abused my children. And I, I was, I mean, obviously extremely upset, but also upset because in that state, every adult is a mandatory reporter. And four adults knew about the abuse before I did and refused to report it and instead protected the perpetrator. Oh, my God. And I have to tell you, after things like Penn State, I mm. am so, I mean, almost as bad as the perpetrator is a community that protects the perpetrator. Mm. So, I, I mean, I can tell you stats, and I know this is not what your podcast is about, so I won't get into it, but I just want people to know that we have now been able to prove that less than 3% of the time, children who actually disclose abuse are lying. So 97% of the time that you hear a child has been abused, they have been. And those are only the children that we know about because the majority of children don't ever tell. So for me to find out at all was, was a miracle because most children don't tell. And then I was able to get my children into the help that they needed into the right counseling. And now today they're doing extremely well. They're doing really, really, really well. But I know how much this is happening. Like I said, I know all the statistics. I know how prevalent it is. And I want to help children before it happens. And I want to show parents how to do that because protecting children is an adult responsibility. Mm -hmm. So that, that was how I got involved. That, I guess that was what kicked up my involvement even more than before. And it was actually a Mrs. Idaho who then went on to win Mrs. World who was involved in this platform as well. And she told me about an organization called Darkness to Light. 
in darkness to light teaches these trainings. I'm now certified to teach them, but you can take them online at d2l.org. And you can take this two-hour training and learn how to prevent this from happening to any child in your life. Mm. So it was because of her that I found out. And it was because of her that I got, you know, pretty interested in pageants. And I still thought the whole pageant world was, was kind of silly, married women fighting over a crown, right? And so the very first time I did a pageant, I kind of, I was a newspaper reporter and I thought this is going to be a really funny humor column. <laughs> and I, I mean, I really was thinking Miss Congeniality, right? <laughs> And it, just like in that movie, I got there and I was like, wow, the, the joke's on me. These women are amazing. They're intelligent. They're well-spoken. They're very involved in their communities. And they just, they do pageants either because like me, they have a platform that they care about or they just want something that is theirs, mm -hmm. something outside of being a wife and something outside of being a mom that they can do that makes them really dig deep and figure out who they are and you know what they want and what makes them happy and so i i met these women and we all have you know our own reasons for doing it but they're really really amazing women and they accomplish more than more than most people i've ever met in fact i i have yet to meet um, very many people who have done more than a woman involved in pageants mm. that i mean that is just kind of amazing. And I'm kind of like still, I'm still <laughs> stuck back in like the child abuse. I'm like, oh my gosh. You're like, from becoming I, a I mom moved now. right on there. Sorry. I have found oh. I don't have a segue out of that topic. <laughs> and I cry because it's still hard. Oh, I've learned to segue very quickly. I know. I was like, oh man. I mean, that was very good. You kept it full circle. And I was like, my jaw is still like, oh my gosh. You know, because I think for me, like being like a mom, I'm like, I think about this stuff now. Like where before I might not have ever thought about yeah. this, um, but I just want to reference that website that you had said in case people are interested in this class. It's dtl.org. D2, the number two, d2l.org. And let me tell you, you, you may think that, you know, I don't need to talk to my children until 12 or 13, but they've usually already been abused by then. Oh my gosh. And it is never, ever too young to have conversations with your children. So for example, your child, Right now, you could start teaching your child that wherever their bathing suit covers, no one else should be touching that without permission, mm -hmm. even mom and dad, you know, even the doctor. Mm -hmm. So unless there is permission and it is, you know, do you need me to help you bathe? Because they get, they get to the age very quickly where they can wash their own private parts. Mm -hmm. So then you can ask, do you need me to help you or would you like to do that? And a couple other things is teaching children that their, their bodies belong to them. So I don't make my children, you know, give hugs and kisses to family members if they don't want to because it's their body. Mm -hmm. If you say you need to go give grandma a hug, you're teaching your child that their body doesn't belong to them. Mm. And another one is to teach them the correct name for their body parts. Mm. And the reason that we do that, we don't have pet names for our private areas, is because there are some very real examples of children who've been abused and they've told a teacher, daddy ate my cookie, for example, and teacher didn't know what cookie was. And mm. so she wasn't able to stop the abuse. It was a couple more years before anyone figured out that that was a pet name for a private part. Mm. And so you, we teach children, you know, your elbow is your elbow and you know, your body parts are just your body parts. They just have names. You don't need pet names for those. So you don't, don't make your child think that there's something shameful or wrong about that body part. It's just a body part. Mm. Yeah, that's something that I, um, you know, because he's now kind of repeating words, so I'm like trying to teach mm -hmm. him, you know, things. So I had taught him, you know, I'm trying to tell him the exact name. And right. I you know what I kind of was doing too, because I'm like, I don't know if this is the right way, because I haven't really looked into this, but I was like, I suppose I should start teaching him this stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm like, who touches this? And he's like, Jalen, you know, he points to himself. So I'm right. like trying to teach, you know, only Jalen gets to. So that way yeah. he kind of you know, I'm like, I don't know if he's really understands it yet, but I'm like, if I just keep telling him this, hopefully right. he'll grasp that. And that's where I'm like, okay, it's good that I'm at least on the right page in that regard. Um, yeah. And we teach children, we don't have secrets. We have surprises. I love birthday surprises, but we don't have secrets. Personally, in my family, I don't do sleepovers. I don't allow sleepovers. Um, I was sexually abused at a sleepover and I just see absolutely no reason to give someone else access to your child. But also, 
even if it's at your own home, you're not awake 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's say you, you allow your child to go to a sleepover, but what you didn't know was that the older sibling also was having a sleepover and they had a friend come over and that friend is an abuser. So 40% of child sex abuse is actually an older child abusing a younger child. Hmm. 40%. So for me, sleepovers are an absolute never going to happen. I just don't do them. There's no reason for them. And how do you go? So like, if you have a, you know, how do you explain that to your child? I guess when they're, when they're asking for one. So easy. So easy. I tell my children, we don't do sleepovers. Let me know when the party is over and I will pick you up. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, I don't make a big deal about it. And so my children have never made a big deal about it. It's going to be harder for the parents who used to allow sleepovers. Mm -hmm. I think that you can have a very real conversation with your child without them being fearful. I don't want my children to be fearful of the world. And I honestly think the best thing parents could do, aside from taking that two-hour training, is to go pick up the book by Gavin DeBecker Mm -hmm. called uh, Protecting the Gift. He also wrote The Gift of Fear, which is an amazing book for all women. But Protecting the Gift is specifically about protecting your kids. And it will walk you through how to protect your kids at church, how to protect your kids at the doctor, how to protect your kids at school, mm-hmm. and how to do it knowing that you are not going to be there 24-7. You're not. You don't have the ability to watch your child at all times. Mm-hmm. So you have to put in things in place right now to protect your kids from when you're not there. But remembering that it's your responsibility. It's not your child's responsibility to not be sexually abused. Mm-hmm. It's adult's responsibility to prevent access to your child where they could be sexually abused. Mm. And I'll have all of those. I'm going to put those all in the show notes. So in case anyone's like, oh, what was those books? I'm going to put those in the show notes for everyone. Because I am definitely going to look into those books myself. Because I mean, this is my one of my good friends. um, She actually worked with sexual offenders as a therapist. And I just remember her coming back the very first time she did while she was still going to school. And she was like, wow, these are people that you would never expect, you know, like just looking right, at like right. these are people that we see every day and you mm-hmm. would just have no idea. That was her first shock. Like yep. this could be anyone. Right. You know, what's really sad is that usually the very first time that an offender is caught because they choose children that are hard to believe, maybe children from a broken home or, or at risk youth who are already going through maybe a drug addiction or, or something else. They pick children who are easy targets and hard to believe. And so the first time that someone tells on them, most adults don't believe the victim and they do believe the nice guy down the street. He would never do that. Well, actually, most perpetrators have done it about 300 times before they are actually caught and stopped. And then even then, they're only getting three or six months, you know, and then they're they're sent back home, back out into the community. Now, I am not a psychologist, but I have been involved in this for a very long time. I personally don't believe that pedophiles can be cured. I just don't. All the research I've done on it, I absolutely don't believe that you can stop them from being sexually attracted to children. And so for me, I, I'm like, nope, they had, their, they had their chance, lock them up for 25 years, put them in treatment if you want to, but those are the people who should not be in society. Those are the people who should not be allowed anywhere near children ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my you friend can't. saw that too. A lot of repeat offenders. Yeah. Oh, a, a lot. And you just, you, you just can't say is that child's life worth it? Because you can't undo it. So when I have interviewed nurses who you know, have to do the exam after children have been abused, I had one nurse say to me, you know, we, we put people in federal prison for 15 years for money laundering, and that's just money. Mm. But when they are ruining the lives of children, we're giving them three months of probation or three months of treatment. It just makes absolutely no sense. It, it, I don't understand how we can say that, you know, the money, you can make the money again. You can get money back. You can't undo what's been done to that child. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that is, I mean, that is just something that I think definitely as, you know, we have to as a society figure out what to do with this rather than just kind of turning a blind eye to it. Right. 
So for me, I'm, you know, I'm more than happy to talk about it. You know, I have to be a little bit careful because I do get emotional, Mm -hmm. but I'm more than happy to talk about it, but it's an uncomfortable topic for most people and they don't want to have this conversation and it's easier for them to just pretend it doesn't happen. But the truth is that 93% of the time, a child, you know, that has been abused, which is about one in four children. They are 90, 93% of the time, it's by someone they already know and trust. Mm -hmm. So if you look around and you know four children, one of them has probably been sexually abused by someone you know and trust. Mm. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, it's sickening. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. where I think that we just don't, we don't know what to do. And, you know, like just putting the word out and, you know, what are some other resources if people want to get involved? Honestly, I think D2L is the absolute best resource. There there are definitely some other ones out there on Facebook. I follow Defend the Innocence. I really like that Facebook group. But D2L has the best training, in my opinion, because once you get through that training, and I would take that training every year. I wouldn't just take it one time. But once you get through that training, once you read those two books by Gavin DeBecker, you will be so far ahead than most people on how to prevent abuse and then what to do if it does happen. And if you just do exactly what they tell you to do in that training, you'll be okay. You, okay. you will probably reduce the majority of um, instances of child sex abuse that could have taken place had you not taken the training. Mm. So that is definitely some great resources if anyone's looking to um, get into. And I kind of want to um, talk a little bit before we have to wrap up about your mission with Girls Who Hit. Mm-hmm. And how does that, um, what is it? And tell us a little about that mission as well. Yeah. So isn't that funny? We were going to talk about how I'm a work at home mom and I own my own business. And, you know, instead I am so much more passionate about these side hobbies. <laughs> I, hey, I love it. That's where I'm like, I go where you want to go. And this is where you yeah. I, I prefer to talk about that. So for me, and this also kind of ties into when I ran for Mrs. Virginia and now for Mrs. DC, but I found that although I thought I was okay, I, I, for, I thought I'd forgiven my perpetrator and and that I was over what had happened to me when I was a child. It took this journey of going through Mrs. Virginia and talking about my platform so much for me to realize that actually I was still holding on to some anger and I was still still really upset about it. And I got really involved in fitness because of, you know, I got to go compete in a national pageant. I would like to be, you know, ready for that, physically ready for that. And I got so involved in the fitness and I ended up going through a certification for a workout program called Core to Force, which is like an MMA, a really, you know, toned down MMA style training. But what I remembered while I was doing this was how great it felt to feel empowered, to feel strong, to feel like if you know, if something were to happen to you, if you were to be walking through a parking lot and not paying attention, you know, to your surroundings and someone attacked you, you are so much better off defending yourself right then and there than trying to defend yourself after you've been removed from that location. And so I just realized that going through all of that, I really started to finally heal and I started to feel better and it, it was partly going through the self-discovery journey of Mrs. Virginia and talking about the abuse that, that got me through that healing. But it was also the, the way that I felt empowered, the stronger I got, the more empowered I felt. And I want every female to feel that way. It, for me, getting fit isn't about a number on a scale. It's not about how skinny you are. It's about what your body can do, how strong you can make yourself how comfortable you feel in your own skin. So girls who hit the HIIT stands for high intensity interval training, because from a fitness side, we now have science that tells us that when you do high intensity interval training, you are doing um, so much more that benefits your body than just if you were to go work out or, you know, run on a treadmill. Unfortunately, today, people want quick fixes. So I, I tackle this from three sides as a fitness coach, which I do on the side. And the first one is, is healing through fitness. I want you to love your body. I want you to care about how strong your body is, not how much you weigh. So I really work with people 
on that side of, of the healing, because a lot of us, you know, do come from a place with a really low self-esteem and society tells us we shouldn't love our bodies the way it is. So I work on that. Two, I work on the nutrition because you can't be a healthy weight if you're eating crap. So I work with people and teach them what to eat and what not to eat. But then three is the actual fitness, where I work with people on how to do things correctly, how often they should do it. With these quick fixes, people are, are thinking, oh, I can go do you know a HIIT workout um, one Saturday a week, and that's good enough. It's not good enough. If you actually want to live longer, if you actually want to prevent the number one killer in America, which is heart disease, you need to be working out for about 30 minutes a day, five days a week, which is not as difficult as it sounds if you are doing an at-home program, which I offer, but also you can go to the gym and do it. The problem is when people want quick fixes and they think, oh, I can go work out once or twice a week and that's good enough. It really isn't. Yeah, I completely agree. We just talked about this, actually. I was at a workshop all weekend. It's exactly what we had said as, you know, you know, this continuing education course and how do we, you know, battle that as fitness instructors and mm-hmm. teach people that you can't just do a Saturday morning class right. and expect to lose 20 pounds, you know, by Monday, <laughs> you know, like that's some of the education and it's totally just our society now. It's, it is fast. Yeah. And people expect it really fast, but it's not, I mean, that's weight loss has stayed the same you know, you're going to lose one to two pounds, you know, for years. I mean, years and years and years. And you know, what's, you know, what's um, interesting. I even have a 12 day to flatter, 12 days to flatter abs program that I put people through and it's pretty intense. I mean, it's 12 intense days and then you can take a few days off and do it again, but that's fast. I mean, 12 days is really fast. And most of my fitness programs, we do 30 days at a time and that's fast. Yeah. So when people get done and you know, well, one, they, it's really hard for people to even get through 12 days or 30 days and then they want results. And I'm like, wait, wait, well, what did you eat? Did you do your five workouts every week? Did you do 30 minutes a day? And you know, did you go to McDonald's or did you, you know, did you put down that soda? And it's really, really hard to try to educate people today and say, listen, I know McDonald's is cheap and I know it's fast, but it's really bad for you. Mm-hmm. And I really do want you to live longer and I really do want you to live healthy and I don't want you to have so many medical issues, but you've got to meet me halfway. I will give you the tools, the education, the resources, but you have to actually do it. I can't eat clean for you. Mm-hmm. And to me, when people think 12 days or 30 days is too long, I'm, I'm kind of amazed by that. And then I remind people, even in 12 days, even in 30 days, you're not going to lose 50 pounds. Like that takes continuous effort. It takes consistency. It's going to take six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And then starting now versus starting right. later, you're going to be that much closer, you know, instead yeah. of pushing it off. And that's the other thing too, people have to realize is, okay, there is no perfect time to start. And, you know, waiting another yeah. month, you're just going to be, you know, the same or staying the same rather than Mm -hmm. making a little bit of progress. What I think is really sad, I was reading a study, as you can tell, I really like studies. (laughs) I was reading a study. I'm a journalist. I was um, was reading a study, I think it was last week, that looked at those people, and I don't want to say overweight because it's not the weight on the scale. It's about whether or not you're healthy, and that's really only you and your doctor can decide that. But we know that most Americans are unhealthy. We know that most Americans are at an unhealthy weight. And the study was showing us that it's not getting better, Mm -hmm. that there are some people who are losing that weight and getting healthy and staying healthy, but the majority of them are not. And even if they do get healthy, they go back to the unhealthy place they were. So I really am trying to work with people on, let's get you started quickly. Let's immediately get rid of these bad foods. Let's flush out this crap in your body. And let's get you on a good, healthy program, but then you have to stay on it. Yeah. You have to keep going. Yeah, that's the tricky part is just having that maintenance and just, you know, once mm-hmm. you've reached your goal, sometimes I think people get excited and then go back to those old habits yeah. that maybe they haven't even done for a year, but that's just routine because that's what they were used to for right. 20 years. And that's the hard thing is to try to right. kick those for good. And um, yeah, I definitely think that's the struggle I think for most fitness professionals is maintaining that long-term results for people mm-hmm. and, you know, really shifting that mindset. Yeah. And it, and it, like when I'm working with, you know, my boot campers and I'm working with my challengers and I see that happening, I mean, it, 
it actually emotionally affects me. I mean, it, it makes me really sad. I kind of, I'm like, oh, it kind of breaks my heart to watch that because I really want them to succeed, but I don't, I don't want them to succeed because there's a number, a, a gene size that I want them to go by. I want them to be healthy and I know what it takes to be healthy and to maintain that. And so it really emotionally, it does bother me when I see people going back into their unhealthy habits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, sometimes we can't want it more than they can want it for themselves. (laughs) And when I do, then then I'm like, oh, we have a problem. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you there. So I want to talk um, before we wrap up about your podcast. So you recently started one. Tell us what's it called and where can we find it? So it is on iTunes. It's called Girl Let's Talk. And I just launched it two weeks ago. And I had to tell you, I'm loving it. The reason I did this, and I guess we didn't talk about this. I left my career as a news anchor because my husband's a Marine. And we were getting moved around. And I was signing these TV contracts and then having to break these TV contracts because the military, you know, they're like, I don't care. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we were just, we kept moving. And finally, we got to the D.C. area. And instead of working for another TV station, I went to work for Congress. And I have to tell you, as fun as that was, and as much as I learned from it, what I really learned was I'm a journalist (laughs) and I need to be doing some form of journalism. And because that wasn't an option the way that it used to be, I can't go back and be an evening news anchor right now. But I felt like, you know what, though, I can do a podcast. I love to interview people. I love to talk to people. And this podcast is really focused on women's issues. And so I interview a lot of women who are not, some of them are in pageants and some of them aren't. My first interview was with a female Marine. She's a co-founder of Not In My Marine Corps. And she has been fighting for seven years to stop sexual assault in the Marine Corps against females. So there's, there's some lighthearted stuff. Like last week I talked to a former contestant from the bachelor. So (laughs) some of it's, yeah, some of it's really lighthearted, but all of these women have something in common, which is that they are advocating for something in their community that would actually make our world better. For example, this former bachelor contestant, she is fighting the state of Idaho, which is the only state in the country that does not have a law allowing moms to breastfeed in public as long as they, you know, cover up some of those areas. Um, But even if you covered up all the things that you don't want, you know, your nine-year-old to see, Idaho does not allow breastfeeding in public and won't protect moms who are feeding their children. I'm like, well, how are you supposed to feed your child? You know what I mean? So Idaho does not have a law protecting moms, and she is really fighting to, to change the Idaho statute to make that happen. So all these women have something in common, which is that they're advocating for something, you know, just amazing, and they're, they're just amazing women. So every Tuesday morning, a new, a new episode comes out, and you can find it on iTunes, Girl Let's Talk, or you can go to one of my websites. Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah share with us. <laughs> <laughs> So um, girls who hit H-I-I-T.com. I do a lot of fitness blogging on there. And then in about two weeks, I'm launching another blog specifically for teens and 20-somethings and moms that's a little lighter side of life where I just, I blog about things that aren't so serious. Mm-hmm. And that'll just be my name, jelizabethpeace.com. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And any social media that you like to hang out on? I am absolutely all over Instagram. (laughs) I love Instagram and girls who hit has a Facebook page and Instagram and a website. And then my personal Instagram is Mrs. E peace, M R S E P E A C E. Perfect. I will put those in the show notes as well. And then I have one final question for you. Yeah. So I always like to have a little challenge to the listener. So I give them a weekly challenge. Now when Ooh, I have guests on, I have you guys throw a weekly challenge to them. So okay. what would you like the weekly challenge to be for the listeners this week? Oh, wow. Hmm. <laughs> I'm like, hold on. I probably could have thought of a really good one, but I'm not like the best on the spot kind of person. <laughs> That's all so- right. So honestly, my, my very first thought is I would really like people to go on d2l.org and take that two-hour training. That, that would be my preferred challenge. If they would do Love that, it. I feel like we could really make a difference in this world. And if they don't do that, then I would just ask you to just do one, one nice thing for someone else this week. Pay someone a compliment. Make someone else's day better. Make someone else happy. Be the person that 
that uplifts people that when they see you, they think, wow, this person really makes the world better. I want to be more like that person. Mm, Perfect. I will definitely, I'm going to check out that training on D2L. Definitely. All right. So I've had such a great time talking with you, Elizabeth. I've learned so much. Um, thank you so much for sharing all of this knowledge yeah. and resources. And I think that if anyone is more interested into this, I mean, even checking out your podcast and listening to more inspirational guests, I think this is a huge area that, um, you know, needs some spokespeople for. So I love that you're, you know, stepping up and doing that. Yep. Even though, you know, I, I get a little bit ridiculed for doing it as a, as a pageant woman, <laughs> um, it's worth it. It is yes. honestly worth it. And, and I really appreciate you giving me this time and letting me take so much time. I'm sorry we went so long, but taking so much time to, to just talk about stuff that I really think is important. Yes. And I thank you again. And I want everyone to go out there and spread your peaceful power. This Peaceful Power podcast episode was brought to you by the Hustle, Muscle, and Flow preview workouts. So what are these preview workouts? They are four sample workouts of the actual Hustle, Muscle, and Flow program. So it's kind of a little tease, so to speak, of what the monthly members will actually be getting. Now, these workouts are what I have been using the past year to get back in shape um, after having my son. So I had to lose about 42 pounds to get back to around the weight that I was before, and it did not come off easily for me. So I had to switch things up, and I only had about 30 minutes to get in a workout, and some of the workouts I had to do at home. So my options were a little limited. Hence why I created this program, because I know there's a lot of moms out there struggling with the same thing. They don't have a lot of time, but they still want to get results. So these workouts are geared to, if you have to stop and start them, you can. There's no video to follow along with, so you don't have to worry about constantly pausing things. They are just your workouts. You can watch the demo of me showing you how to do the workouts, which there are video demos for each of these preview moves, so you don't have to look up how to do them. You just click on the link. Um, And that's also something that I know is super helpful for people so you don't have to scramble. Um, That is why I created this, because I want to help women reach their fitness goals, whatever they might be, and teaching you guys how to do that. Along with those workouts, though, you also get a free self-care plan as well, because being a mom is tough. And uh, making sure that you take a little time to do the things that you might have you know, used to love, but maybe forgotten that you do. So I also include that in the freebie as well. So if you're interested in signing up for that, you can head on over to andreaclawson.com slash hustle, muscle, flow, preview, all one words, and join the fun.